Janet Maslin of the New York Times says this film doesn't seem to have much of a focus, but it doesn't seem to want one either. Palatancio of the Washington Post calls its star an unusually adept verbal comedian, not so adept, to his credit, at this kind of slapstick. And Letterboxd user Andrew Bemis muses, I was reminded of something a friend said about this being the only 80s teen movie he likes because it serves as a critique of the Reagan-era, ultra-capitalist value system of other movies in the genre. I like it when the hamburger plays guitar. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of Better Off Dead. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, Starfighters, and that welcome. Was so gentle. That was very gentle. I am I am trying to reserve my energy, John. I am so excited. It's the 100th episode of Ruined it's Childhoods. The 100th episode of Ruined Freaking Childhoods. The two-year anniversary of Ruined Childhoods. Unreal. Unreal. It has been two years, 100 episodes of just coming up with remakes, reboot, sequel, prequel, spinoff, musicals, TV series, seasons of Curb Your Enthusiasms, spun off of these movies, podcasts. It has been, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't... think this has been a lot of fun and we're going to keep on going. And, yeah. uh, you know, we've got new podcast artwork that maybe you've noticed. Um, there's going to be some other things. I am incorporating a brand new segment to the show, starting it on this one. We're going to see how that goes. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's all about evolution and progress and change, and but we are sticking with our our format, our goal, our modus operandi, our mission yeah. statement to take these beloved properties, these uh, cl- whether they be classics, legit classics, cult classics, which are also legit classics. Yeah things that we like things that you like and finding the best possible way to breathe life back into them well ultimately this is a just a great opportunity for us to revisit movies that we like to talk about and hopefully invite you, the listener, to do the same and to think about these movies, uh, I don't know, maybe in a different way or discover new things about them. Hopefully, that'd be pretty cool. And maybe make you think a little bit about how you might want them to come back, which is kind of like the, you know, the secondary function of the podcast. Primarily, it's an opportunity for us to just like spewed weird knowledge and odd memories from our pasts relating to these movies yeah um you know to to pull back from from the memory the memory box and to dust off some of the dvds 
Yeah. And as as I say, sometimes to, to make good on the investment that, <laughs> uh, you know, whatever money I spent on a DVD that I have maybe watched once uh, to go back and and watch it again, but also to view these movies in uh, in in today's context, the context yeah. of 2021. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting the way that the time period in which you're watching a certain movie can affect the way that you view it. And I, I know that for a lot of the things that we've watched over the past 100 episodes, you know, I might not have seen them at this point in my life. You know, viewing a movie can change after you've had a big life change, like maybe a different job or having a child or, you know, just so many different things can really color the way that you watch a movie. And uh, that's what I've been really experiencing a lot of. And also just like seeing things differently and thinking about movies in a different way. And that actually came up a lot for me while watching Better Off Dead for this episode was like, I thought about it in a different way. And I was like trying to maybe decode what Savage Steve Holland was maybe going for or not. But that's the fun of movies is like you can watch them in so many different ways if it's a good and movie. The, and, and the fun of it is also that you might see something in it that even the the director might not yeah, have. I, I know, you know, so many times where I, I look at a movie and I interpret it a certain way. And it's, a, you know, this is pretty much the same for any art form mm-hmm. where once the art is out there, it kind of becomes a shared property. And I'm, I know there's a bigger debate to have there. But I know that, like, personally, I've felt mm-hmm. reading reading books and uh, in teaching literature for those uh, unfamiliar, I uh, when I'm not doing this podcast, teaching uh, high school language arts and daytime Dan in. <laughs> yes, yes. Daytime, daytime Dan. And it's, you know, you, you look at a story, you look at a poem or a book and you draw meaning from it. You discuss it and you talk about it. And I always say to my kids, I say, look, the author is not going to all of a sudden jump into the classroom or join the team's call to to correct <laughs> yeah. us and say no yeah. that's that's not what i meant so um but what's cool is i often imagine that if uh if we were to speak to some of these creators and and artists even if it's not something they've intended it's still it's valid because like i said it becomes a shared property and it becomes something mm-hmm. personal which better off dead is a perfect example of a movie like that that i know is a is a personal movie for a lot of people yeah and it's it's just so interesting a, a movie to kind of talk about because this is a movie that like you know it wasn't a big success when it came out john cusack notoriously trashed it when it first came out and he walked uh, out of a screening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, but it has taken on this, you know, second life in home video and has just become notorious for a lot of like the quirks that it has. And boy, oh boy, is it quirky. Yeah. And it bears a signature style. And even though Savage Steve yeah. Holland only directed three theatrical Mm-hmm. releases and only two of them were really of his own creation better off dead and one crazy summer kind of yeah. a spiritual sequel not an actual <laughs> yeah. sequel but it's it's cool because they bear such a signature style a lot of that is is owing to the uh 
incorporation of animation. Mm -hmm. But it's really something how a filmmaker who doesn't who who doesn't have a large filmography, at least like a of theatrical releases, Mm -hmm. established so clearly in really one movie. I mean, two movies, if you think of this and one crazy summer. But yeah. really establishes a style. And and we will I know like we're our focus is not on one crazy summer on this episode, no. but yeah. It's bound to to come up. Well, one crazy summer more incorporates the the animation aspect as John Cusack's character is an animator in that one. In this one, he is just a doodler, I suppose you could say. It's never established yeah. that he uh actually uses his drawings for anything but in one crazy summer they definitely play a much bigger role and of course they're the same exact style because they are savage steve holland's own illustrations yeah yeah but the these days savage steve holland would be known more for his contributions to uh nickelodeon programming yeah yeah was it ah real monsters fairly odd parents like he definitely made his mark in a lot of those, I guess, like 90s Nicktoons. Well, and coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, uh, one of the co-stars in this film, Dan Schneider. Right. Mm-hmm. Is Ricky. Has also, also known, um, and, and to fans of Head of the Class, Dennis Blunden of Head of the Class. Okay. Uh, Dan Schneider. Um, and he, I mean, he created iCarly. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, the the Keenan and Kel show, and he did Good Burger. Yeah, uh, Henry Danger, was... Sam and Cat, mm-hmm. Victorious, Zoe 101, Drake and Josh, um, The Amanda Show. I'm, I think it's an Amanda Bynes thing. Amanda uh, Bynes, Guys yeah, like I us, Carly. what I like about you, uh, executive producer for Keenan and Kel, co-creator and producer of all that. So, like, he is just swimming in that Nickelodeon dough. He only just, uh, I think, there uh, stopped working with them a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. In 2018. But yeah, but Dan Schneider and um, I believe for a while he was also working with the another actor from Head of the Class, whose name escapes me at the moment, but the actor who played Eric in Head of the Class, who you might remember is the one kid who never sat in a desk. He would always oh. sit on the <laughs> side. He was one, of, and it's so funny because as a teacher, uh, Head of the Class is one of those things that I think about sometimes and it's like when a kid really doesn't want to sit in their seat but they want to like go sit on the heater or something mm-hmm. I, I'll I'll think about Eric and I'll be like he made quality contributions to class and he didn't sit in a desk so yeah so that's uh, Brian Robbins and Brian Robbins, allegedly he you. is the current president of Nickelodeon okay oh I did not know that about Brian Robbins but um, yeah so you see a, a lot of uh you know, I, I guess evolution from from these movies to to that. And yeah. if I were more familiar with that Nickelodeon programming, uh, I would I would elaborate. But my familiarity with Nickelodeon programming, original programming, kind of tapers off in the early nineties. Yeah, I feel like um, for me, it kind of ended right around like Doug and Rugrats, and right before like. Ah, uh, real monsters. Uh, that was mm, kind of where I yeah. was starting to get into more serious things, like Saved by the Bell. 
Uh, more adult entertainment, more, more mature absolutely. themes, topics, yeah. you know, drug addiction, things like that. Uh, which yeah, which not. is all just a gateway to Degrassi. <laughs> well, and and there you go. And there so, you go. So, so well, I, I, go ahead. Well, I, you, you know, we're news. kind of really going into it. Well, it's kind of weird to talk about news because we're actually recording this an entire week before this episode comes out. So the news, I think of the day is all about this uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory prequel, all about Willy Wonka's early life. Uh, that's the only thing that I've really seen come up that has struck controversy. We are recording this the eve of the presidential inauguration. So there's a lot more going on in the news than uh, sequel and prequel and reboot and remake news. Yes, Yes, admittedly so, but but the Wonka thing has made some headlines. Sure. And yeah. Are are we there? You know, the the questions are out there. Are we following the the backstory provided in the Tim Burton Charlie and the Chocolate Factory adaptation? There's well, no remember. backstory in the book. There's no backstory for Got Willy it. Wonka. In the book, but the Tim Burton adaptation, for the record, is a much more faithful adaptation of the book yeah. than the 1971 Gene Wilder, which but is arguably Tim- arguably just a more, just a better, more enjoyable movie. That's another conversation for another okay. time. Okay, yeah. So, but there's a whole backstory in that where he's the the child of a dentist. Oh who, yeah. It's like Christopher Lee and Christopher Lee was like the overprotective dentist who was very stern and serious. And he had young Willy Wonka in like just this huge like headgear thing, Um, kind of similar to what one of Lane's dates wears in Better Off Dead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, just as, you know, my opinion, I hope that they don't kind of go down that road. I hope that it's more of a... Gene Wildery, you know, phase kind of things where it's like rooted more in reality and less, I don't know, sensationalized because the Tim Burton's, if I remember correctly, that early Willy Wonka childhood stuff, it's, you know, it feels very 2000s Tim Burton-y. It was very tacked on, um, though I, I, from what I read, the little bit that I read about this prequel is that it'll focus not so much on his childhood but on his it like his traveling the right. world which and the Tim Burton movie does yeah. focus on a little bit but but not as much I did see on Twitter a, an interesting casting suggestion of Jason Mansukis as the uh younger Willy Wonka <laughs> I would love a Greek Willy Wonka uh that would be fantastic uh Jason Mansukis I think that that'd be a lot of fun yeah absolutely <laughs> and i think i i think that it that's really kind of what it depends upon is the the script and whoever you are casting as wonka because now this yeah. is going to be your third cinematic willy wonka and you know people have a bad taste from the well not just from the johnny depp willy wonka just from johnny depp from johnny depp yeah <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, who knows, who knows what's going to happen with it. I, I don't know. We'll wait and see yeah. what, uh, what, what's coming down the line with that. But, yeah. uh, yeah. Do you have any one more things from our Bowfinger episode? I don't think I do. 
I don't. No. Okay. I think uh, we it was said a perfect it episode. <laughs> it was there's nothing there's nothing to add. It was perfect. Um it was a five star episode. Yeah. So uh so. yeah, let's talk about Better Off Dead, nineteen eighty five. Five eighty five, right? 85, yeah. 85. Uh, I just have a very brief synopsis because this is one of them where it's like, if you just start going into details, it's a real can of worms. All right. Confident teenage dink Lane Meyer is at a potential moment of greatness. He's dating Uber Babe Beth, and he's about to join the high school ski team. But when ski team captain Roy Stalin fudges the timer results... Lane doesn't make the team, and Beth leaves him for Stalin. Utterly dismayed, Lane decides that without Beth, life has no meaning, so he considers ending it all. Once snapping out of it, Lane tries his best to win Beth back, but doesn't end up finding success, leading him deeper and deeper into a suicidal depression. He eventually finds purpose, thanks to the foreign exchange student across the street, who gives him perspective, a boost in confidence, and some quote-unquote language lessons. So John Cusack plays Lane Meyer. Uh, David Ogden Steers is Al Meyer, his dad. Diane Franklin is Monique Junet, the foreign exchange student from across the street. You might also remember her from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, Kim Darby is uh, Jenny Meyer, his mom, who is in True Grit, the Ridge. And uh, Curtis Armstrong is Charles DeMar, his best friend. Amantha Weiss, who is in Nightmare on Elm Street, plays Beth. Uh, Aaron Dozier plays Roy Stalin, and man, oh man, is he so good. Uh, Damien Slade is Johnny, the paperboy, who Dan and I certainly love because of his performance in Back to the Beach, which is certainly... with... He's got the switchblade He's comb. got the switchblade comb. I love that kid. It's I wish that we would have seen more from him. Um, yeah. We have Scooter Stevens as Badger, Lane's brother. Um, let's see. Oh, we already mentioned Dan Schneider, who plays Ricky, the the dork from across the street. Uh, Taylor Negron shows up in a like one minute scene as a mailman, and it's amazing. Um, we have Vin- Vincent Chevelli as the math teacher, and then we have E.G. Daly, who a lot of people would know from the aforementioned Rugrats, the voice of Tommy Pickles, but also this same year, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. She was Dottie. Um, Dottie. But yeah. she is just in this as a singer. That's all. She's singing at the at the school dance that for some reason their school is holding a dance like between Christmas and New Year's. Whatever. <laughs> the, this movie seems to have a lot of things that are kind of shoehorned in there just to like create a moment. And yeah. I think that this was one of them. No complaints. <laughs> yeah. So, Dan, what I was saying before about how I kind of saw this movie differently this time than I had before and I'm wondering what your thoughts are. But how much of what we see do you think is in Lane's head? You know, the like the globby raisin dinner that his mom makes like crawling off the plate. And I mean, clearly he we see his drawing come to life in an animation. That's obviously in his head. And uh, we do see a lot of like flashbacks and stuff. Those are in his head. But there's, you know, I want even like the math class that he's in where everybody's just completely enraptured by Vincent Chiavelli, uh How much of that do you think is just like the way he interprets the world where like he is just completely on the outside of an inside joke. And the reality is that 
everybody is in a different world than he is. Yeah, that's a that's an excellent point. Uh, and something that definitely occurred to me is that we are very much seeing the world of high school through the eyes of this Lane Meyer who wants to be a jock, isn't yeah. quite a jock, like scores the – he's got the, the girlfriend who, uh, you know, yeah, Amanda Weiss, okay, you know, I – Personally, Diane Franklin uh, wins for me. But, um, you know, he kind of he's trying to fit the mold. Right. And it I wonder how much of this is. I mean, it really makes you think back. I, I mean, or at least it made you know me think back both to my own high school experience, but also thinking about just the reality of high school, which honestly, as I was watching it. There was there was a lot of the high school moments that even though they were surreal and exaggerated a little bit, I felt like it 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 captured the mindset of being in high school. What are all these people thinking? Uh I mean, like his his only friend really is Charles, who has has been going there for seven years. Yeah, seven years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's really fascinating. It it really captures the experience of like a high school weirdo who, you know, is borderline popular. And, you know, it's like he certainly does. Yes, you're saying like he wants to be this jock. He wants to be this popular person, but he can't help being very much himself. You know, like he skis with like welder's goggles and he drag races these two guys that you know one of them has like a howard cassell voice and oh yeah and um sorry we should uh point out uh his the names of yes uh, yuji akumoto and brian imada and you would know yuji akumoto from karate kid part two and or and well yeah i mean i don't know and season three of cobra kai of Cobra Kai. Yeah. yeah. So, and uh, I He's have so good in Karate it. Kid Part 2. He's so good. He is wonderful. He's so and menacing. Had we not been in the middle of of a quarantine, I would have made the trip up to his Hawaiian restaurant in in Seattle. Oh, no way. Unfortunately, not not that close to where I live in Seattle. Mm. But yeah, he uh, he and his family have they have a family run uh, Hawaiian Kona kitchen. Oh, that's so in, cool. Um, the northern end of the city. So he's great. Sad, unfortunately, sad story that I read. Not really sad story, but just unfortunate. He really worked hard to do the Howard oh, Cosell yeah. impersonation, and then they just overdubbed him with. Comedian and impressionist Rich Little. Yeah, here's a clip from the very first time that we we see and hear uh, that character um, pulling up to Lane in 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 kind of forcing a drag race to happen, which seems to be something that has happened regularly that Lane always loses. It's an awesome spectacle, an audacious display of seething opponents once again parallel. In an obstinate attempt to probe superiority of the roads, unequal in our lifetime. The crowd swell with anticipation as the lights turn green. 
Yeah, so that's just a little snippet. But, but, but again, how much of that is real? How much of that is... Well, I, th- I think that that one would be a little bit more real because we do have the scene where he is in the car with uh, Monique and oh, Ricky. Ricky. And yes, and where she actually slams down on the gas and they, they go, go, go. And, um, but yeah. you know, on the topic of how much of this is real and how much is in his head, I, I was thinking to myself as I was kind of sitting down to watch it, what if, and, and I don't think this is the case, but what if, what if his first suicide attempt was successful? Oh, and yeah. well, the rest uh, of this, I right. mean, it's, his brother builds a rocket ship that takes and off a laser. a laser. Yeah, it's all very sensational. Uh, so here's just a little clip of um, so Lane, after he is dumped by Beth, uh, decides to hang himself in his garage while his mom is vacuuming in the rest of the house. Wait a minute here. Wait, this is death here. I haven't even been to New York City. Jesus, I haven't even been anywhere. Yeah, so she knocks the door right open into him. And I mean, it doesn't show him recovering. So he's just he's hanging there. He gets knocked off the step and he's. He's hanging. Uh, so I, I just don't. And that's kind of one of the I don't want to say a qualm that I have with this movie, but just something that I think I don't know that that Savage Steve Holland necessarily knew at the time what was real and what was in his head. <sighs> I think, yeah, just because a lot of the signs that would normally be there are not like I I was looking for a lot of this symbolism in it. And I do think that ultimately it is just the story that's really from the perspective of this, of this guy who is struggling. He, he, like you said, he can't help but be himself even while he's trying to fit another mold. Right. Well, So the story is allegedly semi-autobiographical for Savage Steve Holland, who, you know, went through a bad breakup when he was young and, like, did the same thing where he, like, tried to hang himself with an extension cord. And, you know, that that kind of made him write down all these crazy ways where someone would potentially stupidly fail at killing themselves over and over again and kind of got built around that um i but i you know as i was talking about that i I was just thinking of another thing where his perception of the reality might not have been the actual reality and that is uh beth breaking up with him because what she says is completely ridiculous listen lane i think we should talk We've been seeing an awful lot of each other lately, and I really think it's in my best interest if I went out with someone more popular. Better looking, drives a nicer car. I mean, the idea that somebody would actually say that, and I understand that this is a very sensational movie, even the stuff that is rooted in reality, but, like, that's a pretty 
that that seems to be like something that somebody would be perceiving that someone else like the subtext that somebody had when they were doing a breakup. Right, right. Well, and, and I mean, it, it is also kind of keep in keeping with eighties teen movie tropes. Yeah, that's true. This does that play with the tropes. popular girl. the pro, The popular girl is just kind of you know biding her time with the you know the nice guy, the so so nice guy, right? Uh, and until you know the the Roy Stalin comes along. Oh, but, Roy Stalin. And man, he out ten Ted McGinley's Ted McGinley. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, Ted McGinley plus uh, you know, any William Zapka character. Yes. Times ten equals Roy Stalin. Oh, he's terrible. But again, that's more exaggeration. And I think that the 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 consistency of exaggeration definitely suggests that a lot of this is in his head. Also with the bit about the car, you have to remember he's got that Camaro just right. sitting there. He has no idea what to do with cars. He even tells Monique he he has right. a, like has a phobia of tools, and but he buy he ha, he buys this Camaro that doesn't do anything and it sits there. So, um, which was another thing that made me wonder: like, does he is he dead at one point? Because things start to come together, and this. You know, m- magical, wonderful French exchange student shows up at, at his neighbors. Yeah, there. Uh, yeah, perhaps the well, not the original. <laughs> I mean, Shirley MacLaine in the apartment, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, but she like she shows up and she like fixes his car at, with him, and yes. she dr- she helps him. Like, you know, dr- like you said, race against the uh, the guys, the Howard Cosell the guy. brothers. Yeah. The Ree brothers. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of things come together. He he, he ends up skiing the K-12. Right. On one ski. On one ski. <laughs> right. Um, But yeah, but there's so many things. The part when with all the the paper boys, when all the paper oh boys are God. coming out of the the fog. Oh I, yeah. I, so well, the part with with the paper boy on like the ski bike. <laughs> that's ridiculous. So I uh, one of the probably most memorable things about this movie for most people is the paper boy and the line $2. And it's just one of those things that's just this thread in this movie that kind of helps get you out of scenes but also pushes that final race down the down the slopes into a more ridiculous direction. But uh, yeah, I just want to play a little clip of the first time that we meet Johnny the Paperboy. Johnny. Four weeks. 20 papers, that's $2 plus tip. Uh, Gee, Johnny, I don't have a dime. Sorry. Didn't ask for a dime. $2. Well, uh, it's funny, see... My mom had to leave early to take my, my brother to school and my dad to work because... Two dollars. Cash. See, the problem here is is that my little brother this morning got his arm caught in the microwave and and uh, my grandmother dropped acid and she freaked out and hijacked a school bus full of penguins. So it's kind of a family crisis. So come back later. Great. 
Yeah, and, and also what what I'm thinking of when I'm hearing these clips of John Cusack is thinking like this is very early John Cusack. Mm-hmm. You know, before this, he was in Pretty in Pink, but also like the sure thing. But this was like kind 16 of sixteen candles. Sixteen candles. You're right. Not pretty in pink. Um and but the yeah, sure so thing. like in the sure thing. But this was like, you know, his next like push to becoming like a bigger a bigger star. And you're really hearing his his style, his personality come out. You know, that kind of like fast talking weird wit that he is known for is like really blossoming in this movie. It's so wonderful. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You can totally hear like gross point blank oh, in yeah. there. High fidelity. And, absolutely. And now it makes me wonder like if you're if if we're gonna like, you know, I guess analyze this the meanings of, you know, how much of this is exaggerated. Is he dead? What like is Johnny the Reaper? <laughs> <laughs> like he's constantly following him. He's He's on his back. I mean, and also he's he's chasing like he chases him down the mountain where he could easily like get seriously hurt and or die. Right. Skiing the K-12. Yeah. <laughs> as as is well established. So I, I, you know, if if you look at it from that angle. Johnny could be some that type of character the harbinger the, of death yeah the harbinger of death <laughs> yeah oh that's really interesting so maybe he's not actually dead but maybe he's you know that's the personification of death chasing him and he yeah. is he is freed by monique uh, monique's tutelage um mm-hmm. you know the way that she boosts his confidence so yeah i don't know i mean what's the cost of a human soul Two dollars. Two dollars. There you go. That's not backed (laughs) up by anything. But yeah, there's weird things like when he wears the socks in the shower. That to me bizarre. Yeah, and I, I mean, maybe I'm looking for symbolism where there isn't any, because I do that. I, you know, I do get the feeling that Savage Steve Holland likes to make things weird for the sake of them being weird. Um, Yeah. Not to say that there isn't meaning behind these things because it's fun to think about that it's fun to think about i don't know what if this was all intentional and i mean his only friend charles is you know not only has been in high school for seven years is constantly looking for drugs and ways to get high yeah that's kind of a really funny through line um yeah, he's obsessed with doing drugs, but just can't get any anywhere. So he has to improvise uh, snorting jello and doing whippets and things like that. Snorting yeah. snow? Snorting snow. Yeah, actually, I'm going to um, play a quick clip. Yeah. This is from after the uh, the math class. And um, this is where we really get a sense of like who Charles DeMar is. Listen, I've been thinking about what you told me last night. And I've decided I'm going to help you. Oh. Lane, I've been going to this high school for seven and a half years. I'm no dummy. I know high school girls. Two things. One, how about your sax? I mean, the thing about Roy is he plays the guitar. He does? Yeah. You know, girls love that. Why don't you take up your sax again? Number two, the K-12, dude. 
You make a gnarly run like that and girls will get sterile just looking at you. Nobody delivers a line like Curtis Armstrong. No. Well, I, I love and it's it's not really as it, it's hard to play an audio clip of it because it's so visual. But at the dance, when after <sighs> the joke that that Roy makes about Lane uh, yeah. or, or about, oh, about telling like Charles to shave close so that when when they make out or something like that. Yeah. And Curtis Armstrong constant, like just cracking up. Can't stop Going laughing. way over. Yeah. Goes up to him at, like, like two minutes later. Uh, Still laughing. It's, it's so, great. It's so great. It's, yeah. I mean, Curtis Armstrong, like, you know, this is, he was cast in this because of his performance in Risky Business. And it's just like, Take his character from Risky Business, crank it up several notches, and then you get here, and then like Booger is just like a slight detour from this, and uh, mm. in Revenge of the Nerds, I'm not just calling him a booger, but uh, yeah, I mean, just nobody does it like Curtis Armstrong. Like he really figured out this way of acting, and he just like knows how to deliver these lines so beautifully. I'm no dummy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the pacing, rhythm, everything about it is great. But um, getting back to the to the idea of like just the world of high school, yeah, and like what they get right, even though it's slightly exaggerated. Uh, first of all, Vincent Chiavelli as the uh, right the this rock star math teacher, <laughs> and yeah, I. I ha- I have to call out. So you have a, a a few. You know, you've got a lot of actors who were in other teen comedies uh, in the early '80s, and and you know both Taylor Negron and uh, Vincent Chiavelli were in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. Vincent Chiavelli also like is one of my movie teacher inspirations in that movie. Just for the moment when he comes in the first day of school and goes, "I just switched to Sanka, so have a heart." Yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, oh man, that's me. <laughs> Um, but in this, he's such a rock star. He's great. I'm just going to play that clip really quick. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, like such great casting. His look is so specific. Uh, he's the kind of person where if you don't recognize his name or his voice from the clip I'm about to play, like you would know him the second you saw him. Mm-hmm. The three cardinal trapezoidal formations here to made orientable in our diagram by connecting the various points H-I-G-K, P-E-G-Q, and L-M-N-O, creating our geometric configurations, which have no properties but with location, are equal to the described triangle C-A-B quintuplicated. Therefore, it is also the five triangles composing the aforementioned NIGH each are equal to the triangle CAB in this geometric concept. <laughs> Therefore, in a like manner, the geometric metaphors can derive a repeated vectoral sum. This was your assignment, and I would like to see the results. Please, take them out. Right. So this is one of those examples where I, I again feel like it it seems to him like people are taking out these like dot matrix printers and giant file folders and all these things for their homework assignments because he knows that he didn't do the homework 
And so to him, it looks like anybody who's prepared is like some sort of genius. I don't know. That's right. Yeah. And that and and that's where like thinking back to your own high school experience and it makes sense. And even though, yes, it's exaggerated, you get where that's coming from. So uh, viewing everything being viewed from the perspective of Lane who's kind of, you know, it just has the sense of impending doom all the time where nothing is going to go right. I mean, even when he tries to make things go right, they don't, Uh, you know, he tries to pick up a cheerleader in the cafeteria by just in the most awkward, worst way possible. That exaggeration really, to me watching it, it, it made sense. And I could see where it was all coming from. So in the, in the, in the school context and also in the context of, of the home, because Mm -hmm. when you, I mean, you know, when you're how many teens, especially in the eighties, I think there was a, there was much more of a generational gap in the eighties than now. I think parents by and large are more attuned to what, teens are doing i think so yeah yeah and so you've got david ogden steers who is referring to how yo you kids are into that disco yeah and he's, he's an like reading a he book had... about how to like relate to his child yeah 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 and he you know he's very by you know by the numbers and doesn't really relate well to right. anyone well I, I I have to give his character a lot of credit because in the at the very beginning, this guy is just getting shit on nonstop. He's trying to avoid the paper boy throwing the paper through the window of the garage, but it all the windows break anyway. And then he's trying to take out cereal boxes, but Badger has clipped out all of the coupons from them, so the cereal just comes pouring out. His bacon is boiled because uh Jenny, his wife, uh, has been trying to do all this crazy cooking stuff and he didn't like the oil of be- of bacon and stuff. So he's just having like a re- he's just constantly getting the shitty end of the stick. And but he's still really trying to connect with his son, even though he doesn't understand him. He's concerned about him. He's not trying to tell him to get the car out of the driveway. You know, like that that's just one little thing but then he's also just like you know maybe you should start dating again cuz you know maybe what you need is to start dating again and then uh he does have that book where he's trying to like talk to him using like lingo of course the book is very outdated and he's not getting anything right and then uh he's reading the book about like is your teen on drugs and stuff and it's like he's he's putting in the work he's trying to figure things out and actually like be a good dad and, uh, yeah. I, you know, he, you can look at him as being like a really overbearing, you know, father, but no, I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if, if it's, I don't know if it's being a parent myself that is making me look at him in a more respectful light than I ever would have. But, you know, he's no, putting I in a lot of work. I don't think he's overbearing. I think he, yeah, he's, sl- I think he's slightly, I don't want to say aloof, but there's a disconnect. There's, there's definitely a gap in, uh, you know, a generation and an understanding. He's also got, you know, uh, his wife who is <laughs> space cadet. 
Very much so, though. I mean, it leads to some very funny scenes. The scene when when uh, Rick the Smiths come over with Ugh. with Monique for dinner, for example. Yeah, here's a little clip from that. Have you met Monique? Hi. Now, in honor of our special guest, I've created dinner mondu. First, we have French fries. And French dressing. And French bread. <laughs> and to drink, ta-da, Peru. Jenny Meyer, you really do go to the outer limits to make an impression. <laughs> Peru is Perrier. That one yeah, is so is weird. It- is it just me or does she seem she seems like very skittish? Like I would almost say she seems like a like there's some type of abuse going on, though. You don't really get that at all from David Ogden Steers. Right. Yeah. I I mean, there if look, we are not psychologists. We are the last people on Earth to try to diagnose that someone's behavior, but you know it does seem like there's something going on there. She's she's very bizarre. She's got you know she's currently on this kick of weird cooking, and you know it's like she, I don't know, does her own thing. And even Lane says to Monique when they're in like the cafeteria the next day after that scene that like you know she means well. She's just kind of going through a thing right now and. You know, she's a, you know, he, he loves his mom. He, it's not like a, my mom's crazy kind of situation. Yeah, no, but she's also like an, another one who, again, the word that I'm looking for is not quite aloof, but she is operating in her own universe. And yeah. I, I guess what, I guess it was the bacon thing that made me think that because she's so afraid of, of displeasing her husband mm-hmm. that when he says that, oh, I don't really, you know, oh, the bake, I don't really like the oil on the bacon. She boils it. Yeah, she I, she tries. She take. I think that she. OK, here's the thing is she hears the small things that people say and takes them to extremes. So that's one mm-hmm. case where it's like, oh, doesn't like the oil. Simple. Boil it. Or I. For Christmas, she gives Lane all of these TV dinners because she's like, well, you like the peach cobbler in this one. You know, like maybe he said one time like, oh, this is pretty good. And like she clung on to that and now gave him a stack of TV dinners. I love how that pays off, by the way. When he makes when when he ends up having the dinner with Monique, having the dinner date with Monique and he makes her the TV dinners. I got these for Christmas. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> Which is so nice and and so so genuine. Um, y- yeah that that was really <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. But yeah, Kim Kim Darby is is fantastic. Yes, she is absolutely phenomenal. What else has she been in? I mean, aside from True Grit, I know. I'm um, looking her well, up right now. Yeah, uh, I I thought she was in. She and was I in might Teen Wolf too. Okay, I was just about to say Teen Wolf 2. Two years <laughs> later. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, she was, uh, I think she's the the werewolf teacher. Yeah. 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 
I mean, I haven't seen it in forever, but I I remember that pretty clearly. She did an episode she's, of The X-Files, Murder, She Wrote, Facts of Life. Yeah, she's, you know, just like worked a ton. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, but she's this just is so probably, wonderfully quirky. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, another thing came to mind about things that could be completely in his head that aren't really happening, but it's everybody talking to him about like asking him if it's okay if they ask Beth out. Oh yeah. Yeah. So no, that Vincent Chiavelli is, you know, he, at, he asks him if he can ask Beth out, which, and then you see her in the car with him. Uh, and then there's the Taylor Negron scene, uh, which I'll play right now. And so this, this clip starts off where he's, he's the mailman and he's going through everybody's <laughs> mail and, uh, the first person he talks to is somebody who has zero lines in the whole movie and that's Badger, the brother. Hi, Badger. Your book on how to pick up trashy women came today. Tell me something. What's a little boy like you doing with big boy smut like this? Hi, Lane. I was just wondering. I mean, I know that we don't even know each other, but I know that you were going out with that girl, Beth, and I can see that you're not going out with her anymore, and I was wondering if perhaps I could just be with her. (laughs) Taylor Negron is in this movie for, like, one minute, and it just kills it. You just see him, and you smile. You're just like, something is about to happen with this dude. (laughs) <laughs> well, because when you first see him, he's walking down the street, listening to his Walkman with the yeah. mail, dropping pieces of mail and not picking yeah. them up. So, yeah, you know you're in for something good. And <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I'm trying to think, is there anyone else who asks him about dating Beth? I think it's just the two of them. Yeah, I feel like, it, yeah. Um, yeah, that 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 works yeah uh, that works. <laughs> um that, yeah well i was trying to think i was like what other characters would i have liked to have seen like you know ricky's mom maybe i don't know yeah no, um right. yeah I, I, what about that what about when like ricky's mom blows up uh because right so that's during what the, does he bring, uh, like, the french fries scene what what does Lane he has got like paint thinner because he's gonna yeah. go set himself on fire right so and then uh, he ends up just pouring it (laughs) yeah and now you we also need to recognize that there's some parallels between this and harold and maud except for harold and maud he's doing it you know faking it for the sensationalism and the you know the shock factor that he's not getting um but for this it's kind of like these weird faux attempts at doing it for real and yeah he's going to let himself on fire and it's like oh come to dinner what you know it's interesting no i didn't i i had not i hadn't made that connection and now i'm thinking about the mothers and how oh, yeah. the mother in harold and maud doesn't really take his suicide attempts or his his mock suicide attempts yeah. seriously i you know yeah i don't know if there's really too many parallels to draw with the mothers aside from the fact that they are both in their own worlds and right yeah no i think it's just it's an interesting parallel i don't i don't find it to be intentional i mean i i don't know it's not inconceivable that that steve holland would have been inspired by harold and maude right now i want to play a um a quick scene actually this is a little bit longer but this is when this is after that dinner 
And uh, this is the first time that we're hearing Monique speak English. And I'm playing this because it ends in a way that I want to bring back while we're on the subject of Harold and Maud. Something wrong, Monique? Nice talking to you. Hey, something is wrong. This, how you say, dark head is an unleashed sex fiend. Huh? Ricky, he will not leave me alone. He thinks because I stay here, I am his uh, love goddess, his uh, prostrate. No, prostitute. Holy shit. You big faker, you speak English. But of course I speak English. I speak very good English. I will not, however, speak Mrs. Smith's Keskeldi, international language of love with this reptilian son. Mon Dieu. Well, honk my hooter. I don't believe that you've understood everything we've said this whole time. Look, Len, if you were living with a family like that, the less you spoke, the happier you would be. I promise you. God, I never thought of that. I thought if Casanova and I and Zara had nothing to say to each other, he'd get bored. Go away. Instead, he uses as a chance to put his testicles all over me. Uh, his what? Uh, how you say, uh, octopus, uh, testicles. No, tentacles. N-T. Tentacles. Ah, uh, tentacles. There's a big difference. <laughs> all I want is to come to the States and see Dodger's steady arm. <laughs> Now all I see is that, that face in my door every time I move. Dodgers, huh? I notice you have a pretty good pitching arm. Well, what else is there that is of interest in the States but uh, the Brooklyn Dodgers? I don't know. You might find a nice friend. You, you do have friends in France. You know. Friend. Friend. <laughs> Then you will not tell? That you're a Dodgers fan? <laughs> no, that I speak English. Cross my heart and hope to die. Do you? Not at the moment. So it's that cross to die, not at the moment. Uh, or do you really? Not at the, not at the moment. Uh, it's kind of like how Maud, you know, kind of took Harold out of this death phase of his life and kind of brought him into this embracing life phase so yeah uh yeah look i am sure that there was some influence savage steve holland for sure liked harold and maude there's no Mm. way there's no way he didn't well no dark it's a dark dark comedy dark comedy you know yeah um but so i want to and also by the way and another you know i i speak good english or whatever it was like in bowfinger yeah. Oh, you had commented about the line um, of Bowfinger. They don't even speak English good. Yeah. Um, so, but I want to take it back to another uh, character, and I'm curious to know how much of this guy is is in Lane's head. Roy Stalin. His last name is oh my Stalin. God. Yeah, they never really talk about that. It's so good. But I and I think about how he's a you know he's in high school. He's probably learning about Joseph Stalin. Right. So oh yeah. Is, like is and i'm sure royce like the car like it's a real person in the movie but you know how much of that is it like it's almost like this guy roy stalin who you think would have 
better things to do. He's he plays the guitar. He's captain of the ski team. Uh, he's dating Beth. Yeah. Yet he's really fixated on messing with Lane. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, every chance he gets. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, uh, even when even when Lane is at his lowest of lows, um, you know, in the intro, we mentioned the the hamburger playing the guitar. That's another thing that this movie is very well known for is the claymation dream sequence where uh, Lane is working at this burger joint. And this is another one of those things where I feel like this whole job at the burger joint is set up just so that we can have this claymation dream sequence with uh, Van Halen's Everybody Wants Some. And uh, yeah, so after this moment, he gets he's getting fired and he gets thrown onto the ground. He's wearing the stupid pig chef's hat. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he looks up and there's Beth at a table with Roy Stalin. Buenos dias! Looking really good today, buddy. Looking real good. The is... So good! What an odd choice. <laughs> and it and it got, he it like comes back. He does it again. Um, by the way, oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I by by the way, in that sequence, I feel might have influenced a somewhat similar sequence in UHF. Oh yeah, the burg with the burger dream sequence. There's well, weird weird. Well, in the beginning, when the Weird beginning, Al yeah. is. He's he's daydreaming and and he wakes up and everything is, you know, I don't think everything is burning, but right. he, yeah, he has that that dream sequence and and gets fired by a big Edna, right? Big Edna, big Edna, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, I feel like there, this movie is not just building off of influences; it is also providing influences. Yeah, Perhaps. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. It's de- it's definitely one of those things where it's like there's definitely the '80s idea of the like greasy burger joint. Um, I mean, yes, the dream sequence thing, absolutely, but also the the idea of like the greasy, large, sloppy like burger joint person. I mean, we have a similar character, and like you can't do that on television. The, at the cafeteria you know it's like barf. there's barf yeah there's all of these that's definitely this 80s trope of like the the sloppy chef yeah but it's very it's very funny and i i think that the roy uh roy stalin character is is really well done in that yeah. he's not it's like we I compared him to Ted McKinley, and I think that's both obvious and intentional that yeah. he's meant to evoke Ted McKinley, who the year before was playing a similar character in Revenge of the Nerds. Mm-hmm. But Roy Stalin is funnier. <laughs> he is so funny. And it, unfortunately, this is only one of two movies that uh, the actor Aaron Dozier was in. He's also in a movie that same year called Hail to the Chief. And his his credit is the soldier. So I think that this was just like a lightning in a bottle situation for this young actor. And it's unfortunate that nothing ever happened with him again. See, now I need to go watch One Crazy Summer again and remind myself who played the like antagonist in that one. 
Oh, you know what? And I can almost remember his name off off the top of my head. I know it's not Mark Metcalf. Mark Metcalf plays the father. Uh, mm-hmm. Mark Metcalf, who was Niedermeyer in Animal House. Right, right. But and then the the son was played by Matt Mulhern, was it? Um, or something Mulhern or I remember he was on that TV show Major Dad with so, Gerald okay. McCraney. We've I'm just gonna go down the whole list. We got John Cusack, Timmy Moore, Curtis Armstrong, Bob Kai Goldthwaite, Joel Murray, William Hickley as old man Beckerstead. Uh oh, William Hickey, yeah. Yeah, uh Joe Flaherty, uh, who we all know and love. We have Mark Metcalf, John Mustazik as Stain, uh, Kimberly Foster. Oh, Matt Mulhern, Teddy Beckerstead. There you go. Oh, Matt Mulhern. Matt okay. Mulhern. So, yeah, yeah Matt Mulhern. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Teddy Beckerstead. Who now is on a lot of? Who now is on every procedural? Blue Bloods, CSI, uh, Law and Order, Fringe, um, Law and Order, Criminal Intent, Rescue Me, Law and Order Special Victims Unit. Wow. Jack. Okay. All right. in order. (laughs) So everyone's grandparents have seen him in something. Wow. He's got to be one of those (laughs) actors where they're just like, I recognize him from somewhere. And it's just like every other show that they also watch. So yeah, I remember. And that's honestly, that's like when in, in reading up on this movie, it, like you said, was not a financial success at the box office, but really picked up a following both through video rentals and yeah. HBO. And I honestly don't remember the first time I ever saw Better Off Dead. Better Off Dead is not one of those movies that is sacred or personal to me. I like it. I enjoy it. One Crazy yeah. Summer was one the movie summer. that I remember being on HBO on repeat. Yeah, right. It, and, and this of one course, came like, first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And interestingly, I was reading that uh, Steve Holland has talked about doing a semi-sequel to One Crazy Summer with Bobcat Goldthwait and Joel Murray Uh involved. Right. And they worked together, uh, geez, was it maybe like 10 years ago? Maybe a little bit less? God Bless America. God Bless America. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, just, I think it's, I think that was 2011 maybe. So that could be coming up on 10 year anniversary that that is a hell of a movie it really is it really is <laughs> yeah so uh i'm trying to think of like what else we what we haven't brought up that we should be bringing up there's just so many wonderful wonderful moments in this well h- how about like first the 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 big climax and you know it's it's one of those other tropes of an eighties movie. And in fact, in one crazy summer, it's, it's basketball. He's trying to, he's, right. uh, hoops and the regatta uh, and the regatta. Right. So there's always that big sports. There's always some big competition regatta. There's a regatta in summer, uh, summer rental. Oh yeah. That's um, right. right. At the end of that. So at the end of this, you have the K 12 and where lane, um, Curtis Armstrong breaks his ski accidentally yeah. and 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 then uh Johnny shows up and in his, <laughs> in trying to escape from Johnny Lane is Lane ends up just going on one ski and ends up at the top of the mountain even though he's I don't uh, yeah, logic, the physics log, of it. Yeah, yeah. Now, logic uh so 
he winds up at the at the top where Roy has been waiting for him. And Roy says, oh, I guess he's not going to show. And then there he is. And he does it on on one ski. And that's another great uh, it's Curtis Armstrong, similar to the we've got Bush line. He's doing it on one ski. Well, Curtis Armstrong is great in this scene because he he tells you everything that's happening because they're all watching and he's got binoculars. So he's telling the crowd what's happening. He's like, there's Mm -hmm. someone behind them on a bicycle. Like he's just telling you everything that's happening. It's great because otherwise it would just be like music and people skiing and And someone yelling $2. Right. And what I, what I think is so great is that even after he, he beats Roy and wins yes he's not done he has to fight ricky he fights yes they are in a ski pole uh fencing (laughs) fence and it's like ricky it's almost like ricky is is the bigger it's almost like when lane uh races roy it's not even really about Roy anymore. And I mean, Lane stands up to him. And by the way, how it was interesting to see is that uh, scene, I guess, in the cafeteria when when Lane challenges him oh, yeah. and he stands up. And that's really the one time. You, and I just was like, man, like he's John Cusack is much taller than the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. he and he, uh, you know, challenges him. But then it's it's not even about that anymore because... Yeah, so he, this is one issue that I have with this movie, is that you have this climactic moment at the K-12, and, you know, at the beginning, it's like he would be doing this to try to win back the favor of Beth, and he's really doing this for himself. You know, he mm-hmm. he, prior to that, had spent a day and a half with Monique, you know, like really bonding and getting to know each other super duper well and he's like smitten for her and everything and as they leave she says that they have unfinished business language lessons the list the the language of love and you know he's doing this race not for beth or not even for monique he's doing it for himself now the fencing with ricky with the ski poles that is for monique which is kind of like Look, he doesn't have to do that to like date Monique. Let's be real. No, but he needs to do it to get Ricky to yeah, back but, off. Yeah, but it's like he could have gotten Ricky to back off. But anyway, but then he, but then afterwards, <laughs> yeah, but then after that, he grabs Monique and throws her over his shoulder and marches away. And I didn't love that. That like she no. was like the prize. Right. Yeah, that I just didn't that love was that. I'm the, well, the whole, and there we there we go with the 80s and yeah, I mean the scene itself is and, super fun. Uh, I mean, I really did enjoy the you know the whole idea of this fencing with ski poles, especially with Ricky. So what's and what's interesting and is is that there's the the contrast between his relationship with Beth which feels very forced and his relationship with Monique which is very natural right. and you even see that like when he first meets Beth how he and Beth are just both in their own heads <laughs> yeah uh, i'm just going to play a uh, a clip of that so uh, there's a flashback where Charles and Lane are playing football in a park and they see 
Beth and a friend of hers and they go sit down and talk to them. And then uh, they kind of just drift off into Beth and Lane's inner monologues. So uh, how do you like Greendale? Fine. (laughs) Uh, And the school system, you find it uh, adequate? School hasn't started yet. Oh. She itched her nose. I wonder if that was some kind of unconscious message to me that there's something on my nose. That's funny. He wiped his nose after I, I did. I don't really like school that much. But Maybe you know, I got some dirt on my nose yeah. when I itched it. God, he's too the embarrassed to tell me. <laughs> I must look yeah. sickening. There she goes again. What could it be? Dirt? Relish? Relish on my nose? How gross. She might think it's a... Oh, not that. Oh, no. Please, please don't let it be a booger. Not now. Please, God. They're both just vigorously wiping their noses. And it's it's a cute scene. It's very a- airplane-esque. Zucker Abrams zucker This movie is very Zucker Abrams Zucker-ish. There's a lot of moments yeah. that are, you know, completely outrageous that it's like, what is happening? Like, characters in the background, we were just like, what is that person doing? They are completely unrelated to everything else going on, but they are a weirdo. Um. Yeah, which makes sense. I mean, we're a year after Top Secret and five years <laughs> yeah. after Airplane, so sure, totally, totally makes sense. But you know, it 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 has a, a personality of its own. Oh, and totally. I appreciate that about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So Dan, uh, all these years later, what would you see happening with this property nowadays? Oh boy. Well, it's a tough one. You know, it it's a comedy that's kind that has teen suicide as a and like depression and mental health as a subplot which is not is not something to be taken lightly these days. And right. and I'm not saying that there's not that there's not a room that there's not space for for that or even space for like comedy around that, but it's, it's gotta be something like delicate, delicately and deftly handled. And a a movie that came to mind was wrist cutters, love story, Mm. um, which was a dark comedy that, uh, had teen suicide as it's springing off point. Of course they're already, they are dead in it. Yeah. But, um, you know, in thinking about just the high school, I do, I, I do think that, we need a like a new high school comedy and i know like a lo- there's a lot of high school tv series and i think it's like high school is is such a source for dr- for drama yeah and i mean and there's you know plenty on on television but in in terms of movies when was the last time there was a really great high school comedy yeah, I mean, I'm thinking of something like Love Simon. That was that was pretty good. Uh but was that like this type of like no, a No, no, a, no. See, the thing is the equivalent to this would be Pen 15 on Hulu. You know, this like outrageous, right. I mean, they're not in high school, they're in junior high, but like this outrageous coming of age era where there's the you know all of the things that you go through when you're 
a young teenager, but it's done as a series. Right. Right. And, and that's great. I would like to see a resurgence or some type of high school movie that, you know, in, in the tradition of John Hughes and uh, Savage Steve Holland that takes that surreal look and that shows high school from, I mean, of course not high school this, this past year. Mm-hmm. No, be very different. Um, there'd be a lot of masturbation. Uh, <laughs> I'm not, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm just. Okay. I mean, I don't know, but right. I would say, you know, in thinking about high, like if we were having this conversation a year ago or two years ago, if this was episode one, um, <laughs> short, circuit. you know, I, w- I would be saying that, yeah, like today's high school, it's very different. It's very different. Like, the high school itself is different, but teenagers are very much the same. Uh-huh. And still, like, it's not going to change because biologically, when you're a teenager, you're searching for identity. You're trying different identities on. You don't know who should I be trying to please my parents? Should I be trying to please my friends? Should I be trying to be this, do that? And you know there and there there's a lot more individuality like i think high school movies in the 80s are very um you know they're very clicky even the breakfast club breaks it down mm-hmm. to like i guess the five central sure. clicks but like if you were to do that now you would have to add so much more totally. and you've got social media and f- and i guess that's where uh pen pen one five pen uh, 15 pen 15 uh comes into the you know equation because that's what it's doing and um i guess like ladybird but ladybird yeah. was much more re- but ladybird oh, was, was, was very real yeah and I didn't see eighth grade, but part Ooh. of the reason why I didn't see eighth grade was because just from seeing the trailer, I was like, that looks too real. It's really good. I, I Yes. I'm, Absolutely. I bet it is. Yeah. And I cringe at, at some of that because I recognize the reality, but I would like to see the exaggerated humor. I just don't know if... I don't know if I would go with a, like a straight up remake because I feel like the, you know, mental health, depression, suicide is is serious. I mean, we've we at, at the school where I teach, we've mm-hmm. lost students to suicide and not I mean, like, you, you know, it, and it's just it's not something to trivialize. And I wouldn't want to make a I wouldn't want there to be a film that makes that makes light of it. So I would almost ignore that and go. I mean, like romantic relationships are so different now. And there's almost a more and I don't like in, in the school where I teach, I, you know, I'm like blissfully unaware of most that goes on. Mm hmm romantically unless it's happening on the bench outside my classroom okay um so dude no I, my my classroom uh 
has a has a bench outside, but I had heard one of the other teachers call it the crying bench once. Oh no! Because, um, <laughs> yeah. So I I I think like if it were done delicately and and deftly with with the exaggeration in the right places, a satire of teenage life in the 21st century uh-huh. would be. I think would be really fun. And it's hard to say as, because every time I think about, oh, a movie, uh, you know, that's, that's not how we're digesting our entertainment these days. Mm -hmm. And it's almost, it's kind of like, well, does, does pen 15 kind of, you know, do the job for it? Do we need a movie when we have a series like that? Pen 15 is so good. It's so good. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I and 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 exaggerated in, but I would, I think I would like to see that like Savage Steve Holland spirit taken to it. And in terms yeah. of Savage Steve Holland, and this is kind of a weird place to go because we're not talking about it, but I would like to see him do a sequel to UHF. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, I- I feel I, like we I want his comeback, but I want him to do that. <laughs> yeah, you know, we definitely got this wonderful taste of this incredible, you know, talent in film and you know, he took this other path and I would have loved to have seen what would have happened if, you know, he stayed in film. I mean, granted he had great success in animated television, but you know, I his work you know, he left us with such great gems. And I guess so. And, and a, a couple of other ideas that I had floating around. Of course, a Better Off Dead musical would be fun. I <laughs> mean, the song Better Off Dead is that's been in my head. And uh, oh, Elizabeth yeah. Daly just. Oh, so good. Uh, great. But voice. also, I mean, well, should we not revisit Lane Meyer all these years later, 35 years later? And Man, you uh, think you uh, would? to me, I. Well, and I was thinking about it and I was like, man, what if like Lane Meyer became Martin Blank? <laughs> hmm. it, didn't you say but that about a different about a different John Cusack character or a different character? What if they became Martin Blank? I, I don't what know. if all of John Cusack's characters were just Martin Blank yeah. and he's working through it with Alan Arkin? And <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I love it. Uh, yeah. I think that's really interesting. I love Gross Point Blank, so. Uh, yeah, <laughs> clearly, look back to episode, I don't know, 80-something? Anyway, uh, what so... What would you do? My ideas are very different from what you're talking about, because I became really intrigued by some of the side characters, especially Badger. Now, I would love to see some sort of Badger movie or series, Uh about you know maybe maybe starting where this one or yeah starting where this one ends where he's in the rocket ship leaving earth's orbit or whatever and like entering entering badger's world for a while i think that'd be fun you know it's like all the while everyone was focused on my crazy brother i was doing all this stuff and like nobody even paid attention would he speak I yeah, I mean, I think so. What if you brought back Johnny and he's like a mob he's like a collector <laughs> for the mob. Yeah, right. Uh my other idea was and I know that we can't do this uh 
even if it's recast, it wouldn't be the same because Vincent Chiavelli is, you know, no longer with us. Pour one out. And uh, and also it just took would have to take place in that moment in time. But a a parody of the A Teacher series about Vincent Chiavelli and Beth, where it's this, you know, student teacher romance, but it's them. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. It's like, okay, well in this one, we've got Kate Mara and you know, she's this attractive young teacher, but instead of that, let's make it Vincent Chiavelli. Who's like mid fifties and looks the way he does. (laughs) Yeah. That man. I mean, here's the thing is there's another subject. Yeah. Here's the thing is like my suggestions for this one are are so out there i feel because this movie is so very specific and, and means a very certain thing and it, it the reason why it is a cult classic is because of these like centerpiece scenes the you know the animate the claymation hamburger frankenstein monster guitar well, th- van halen that the and, 2 dollars all the the two dollars. Yeah. Gee, Ricky, sorry, your mom blew up. Yeah, um, yeah. It's such a shame when people be throwing away a perfectly good white boy. Yes, yeah. Um, it's just so like, many great lines. Well, I'm thinking, I'm thinking that the the a teacher satire <laughs> could fit well into if you were going to kind of do a loosey goosey remake of Better Off Dead, like kind of a modern day high school comedy, because that's. That's something that I mean. Yes, it's it's a serious it's a serious issue. Yeah, but it I feel like that's something that you could that you could satirize and parody a little more safely than than teen suicide. I agree. And because also because also the trope is that it's the you know Kate Mara looking you know teacher like it's the you know twenty something. Sure. Yeah. It, and to and to flip the script and have it be you know Vincent Chiavelli yeah or whoever I, no I think that because it is a um it is an, an older man that that definitely puts it into shakier territory but even still but what if it was like what if it was I mean well a good friend of Vincent Chiavelli what if it was Danny DeVito <laughs> what if it was Danny DeVito it's what I because that's because because like what you're saying the whole like the old yes that is awful but the but Vincent Chiavelli makes mean, it that it's, it's buggy ding dong it's buggy ding dong yes uh so but putting like having that type of actor and and you know where you go with the casting and also like what you display actually going on like if you actually like i wouldn't show them you know like i wouldn't suggest that they're having sex but yes like you know that they're going out on on dates i don't know that would be weird right (laughs) right i'm like yeah i wouldn't you know go casting any anyone that would that would be slightly i mean no offense to danny devito but yeah I think it would just be funny if or or even if you just had like that teacher and you have that there's a stu- like one of the characters, one of the, the the kids, one of the students like has a crush on that teacher. Right. And 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 her and her friends are just like, what? And she's just like, yeah, I don't know what it is. <laughs> when he starts speaking, when he starts using those those geometry terms. 
Yeah. That's what I love about that scene. And I would love to hear from someone who actually knows math well to like, what is he even talking about in that? Yeah, I was wondering that too as we were playing the clip. Uh, It's so truly bizarre. I really have no idea. But yeah, I think there's there there are a lot of aspects of modern day teenage life that certainly call for satire mm-hmm. and parody. Um, but again, it, you know, you, you got to handle these things carefully. Yeah. So, Dan, I teased it at the beginning of the show. We have a new segment and I am very excited about this one we'll see we'll see how it goes but i uh, there's there's something uh, that i have a bit of a, a fascination with and uh that's horse names and also boat names and i am a big fan of a certain uh, uh horse website that has a registry of horse names with um you know genealogy dating back generations and generations and uh, made me wonder some of the movies that we talk about, do they have horses or boats that are named after them or have names that relate to them? So, for example, Dan, I ask you and our audience, I hope that you play along at home in your car, on your walk, whatever you're doing. Do you think that uh, our last episode of Bowfinger has a do you think that there's a horse named Bowfinger, a boat named Bowfinger, or both, or neither? Hmm. Now, question: If it's a boat, would you pronounce it Bowfinger? I I couldn't <laughs> tell you. Sorry. Um. I, I. You know, it does sound like it would be a good name for a horse. Okay. I would they, they'd be like a though I would I don't know I might call it Bobby Bowfinger I might even call my horse Jeff Ramsey Jefferson <laughs> Ramsey Jefferson Ramsey okay. Uh, is that your <laughs> final answer? Oh, oh, I didn't realize I was. At, so, I mean, my answer is like, yes, I think there's a horse. <laughs> there is name. indeed a horse named Bowfinger, uh, born in 2001 to uh, Miracle Duling and Choctaw Brave. Choctaw Brave. Uh, truly, truly phenomenal that there's uh, so many generations going back for... Uh, Let's see, we've got uh, great, great, great grandparents named Pillow Talk, Karen's Choice, Speedy Crown, Dear Rodney. Uh, We've got Titan Hanover, Earl's Princess Martha. I I just love these horse names. Is this Bowfinger's lineage? This is Bowfinger. Yeah, that's a exactly. Because Pillow Talk is a movie. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so... uh, Dan, do you think that there were any horses or boats or both or neither uh, relating to Better Off Dead? It's such a cult movie. It's such a classic, especially among uh, Gen Xers who I suppose now would be owning slash naming horses and, and boats. By the way, my favorite fictional boat name is the C word. Oh, yeah. If only for the joke that arose from it in Arrested Development. It's so good. But I I am going to say, yes, there has got to be a boat or a horse inspired by Better Off. I can't think of that. I wouldn't name a horse Better Off Dead. Uh, that's okay. just, that yes. would be bad. Well, something that you have to keep in mind is that- Savage Steve. I would call it Savage Steve. Savage Steve? Well, uh, 
while you are saying that, I'm actually looking up to see if there's anything in here. Um, we do. I did find two horses uh, that have better off dead related names. Um, looking up Savage Steve right now. No, no Savage Steve horses. But we do have That's a horse named Two Dollars. Two Dollars uh, was. Uh, born in 1982 to one pound sterling and Lazala. And then um, we also have a horse named Everybody Wants Some. I believe there's actually two horses named Everybody Wants Some. But here's one from 2003, born uh, to Sonny's Top Gun and Skip a Silent. Yeah. Isn't $2 the minimum bet you can put down at the track? I don't know, but uh, let me see how many $2 there were. It's been a it's been quite There's a only long time one since, named $2. since my days yeah. at the track. Now, uh, it looks like I did save a boat name, but um, I, it looks like the way that I copied and pasted it did not. Uh, you can't copy over the same thing, so I'm going to have to think of how I do that differently. But I don't remember what the boat name was for this one. The, again, this is the first time we're doing this, so we're learning. We're learning. Um but I'm going to have to uh, keep that in mind next time I'm doing yeah. it. So $2 is the minimum bet for a win place or show wager that is so funny. at the horse track. So, yeah. I mean, wow. I'm sure that there Can't are plenty of boats that. named Beth. I'm sure there's plenty of boats named Monique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what, I mean, what other, so if you are going to name a horse or a boat for after Better Off Dead, what would you what would you use? Oh man. Uh it's so funny because there are so many things like everybody wants some is such a perfect name for a, a boat or a horse. That is like a very typical style of a uh, of a name. Yeah. Um it was also a Van Halen song and well, a Richard yes, Linklater movie much more recently. Right. Yeah. Um oh that is a really good question. I don't know. How about you? what, what do you got? Well, I mean, other than than Savage Steve, yeah. um, I I I guess I would probably go with um, Roy Stalin. Um, <laughs> I think I would just name the horse Roy Stalin. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, Ray Stalin. Uh, let me see if there are any horses named uh, Stalin. That'd be really Ugh. weird. <laughs> there are four horses named Stalin. Um. This one, born in 1965, to Loma Star and Sure Cash, oh, that, had, had a great that's... grandfather named Clark Gable. How about that? <laughs> but 1965 to name a horse uh, Stalin. Okay, yeah. All right. Uh, now we have one in 2001 uh, to Marwin and Kickhan. Welcome to Marwin, I guess. Uh, yeah, so that's 2001. Yeah. <laughs> So, I uh, yeah, I was to Kim Darby. Call it Kim Darby. Kim Darby. Uh, I don't know. Maybe maybe something having to do with Ricky. I don't know. Let me see if there's a anything named Ricky Smith. Ricky's mom. Ricky's mom. <laughs> Ricky's mom. Call it Ricky's mom. Yeah, uh, she's great too. She's, she's wonderful. Great too. We, d- yeah, we did not cite Ricky's mom there, but uh, another. Another MVP of this movie. Absolutely. Which you can't have more than one MVP, so. There is a horse born in 1947 named Ricky's Mom. 
So there you go. <laughs> but probably, yeah. I, but in 1947, almost definitely not inspired by. Unless by Better Off Ricky's Dead. mom and Better Off Dead was inspired by this horse. That's that's true. That could be the case. Yeah, I wish it showed you where they were from. That'd be interesting. But beggars mm. can't be choosers. Yeah, if any of them are from Greendale, Greendale, California, which I, I have to imagine to is the like, same. I was thinking like Glendale. Oh it, well, yeah. I mean, I yeah. Who knows where it is? Uh, I was wondering if if uh, for the show Community, if they took the the name oh. Greendale. Well, yeah, there it's in Northern California. So Greendale is an unincorporated community in Yolo County, California. It is located on the Sacramento Northern Railroad, 4.5 miles south of southwest of Clarksburg. Huh. Okay, so there's an actual town. Okay. Yeah, they I mean they do say that they're in Northern California. But anyway, yeah. Uh, we're already past an hour and a half here, so why don't we talk yeah. about what we're going to do on our <laughs> next episode slash month, because we're, we're dipping into a new month. We're so, going to do a theme month here. It's February, and February is when we traditionally celebrate President's Week, and I think it's hopefully finally safe to talk about presidents. We've avoided and- talking about presidents for 100 episodes because we've been in an administration that makes us uncomfortable to think about presidents. But very appropriately, the movie that we're going to be talking about is about when when a very um, immoral man is replaced by a very good man as president. And of course, we're talking about 1993's Dave, directed by Ivan Reitman, starring Kevin Klein, Sigourney Weaver, Frank Langella, Ben Kingsley, Kevin Dunn. Charles Grodin. Charles Grodin. Yeah. So, uh, I, and, and Ving I'm, Rames. Ving Rames. So, we also have to mention that this was one of the runners up for our 100th episode of voting, um, uh, the largest presence on Twitter for this for this movie. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm excited. I'm a, this is one of my favorite movies. It's one of my favorite movies. So, it's a great movie. I'm excited that I can finally watch it <laughs> yeah. without getting furious yeah got great arnold schwarzenegger cameo that we'll talk about wonderful arnold schwarzenegger cameo yeah fantastic i can't wait all right well dan well as you and the reed brothers are at the uh at the green light i wish you a good journey and a good journey to you (laughs) 